Welcome to Can We Still Be Friends, a podcast that tests the limits of the friendship between two people who mistake movie taste for personal morality. I'm Nate Goss, here with Ryan Ebling. Our podcast was started from discussions Ryan and I would have about film, sometimes one-on-one, sometimes with other friends. There is one discussion that seems to keep coming up every so often, so seeing as this year is the 20th anniversary of the release of Pulp Fiction, we decided to bring that fight before you, our listeners, as we discuss the work of Quentin Tarantino. That's right. Now, joining us today is our good friend and longtime moderator slash peacekeeper, our jewels, if you will, reminding us to be like a couple of Fonzies, Tim Yoder. Welcome, Tim. Hello. Now, when Pulp Fiction was released, it was a really huge moment in film. Tarantino was an utterly unique voice, and Pulp Fiction was a breath of fresh air, serving to spark several careers, uh, as well as famously resurrecting John Travolta's career. Now, the merit of that act in and of itself is probably worthy of a debate. Um, But however, even with that film being more or less universally lauded, Tarantino attracted a large amount of negative backlash, specifically for the violence in his films, as well as his really pretty cocky attitude that rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. For better or worse, this has caused people to ask the question, is Tarantino a genius or just a button-pushing provocateur? But does he have to be one or the other? Can he be both? Can he be neither? Is there a real Tarantino? Which is the alter ego? Is he really Superman, or is he really Clark Kent? With all these questions, it's good we brought back up. If that song doesn't get you ready to talk about Tarantino, I don't think anything will. No, I don't think so. Nothing will. Yeah. Um, so Tarantino, like we said, has a, a lot of violence. He's also pretty vulgar in his movies. So for this episode, we might be playing some clips from his movies, and it's very difficult to find a clip without swears uh, or <laughs> racial slurs. Yeah. So we know that you like to gather the family around the fire and turn on our podcast. Um, but this one might be one that you listen to after the kids go to bed. Yeah. I know they'll be disappointed, but just tell the kiddies it's okay. We'll you'll, you'll catch the next one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also it should go without saying we are, we'll be talking about hopefully all of Tarantino's movies and we may be talking about plot points that could be pivotal. Um, mm-hmm. so if you haven't seen the movies, you, all of the movies, uh, I think you can still listen to it, but just know that we might be uh, revealing some things that you wouldn't know. Or just talking at a sort of detailed level that'll be sure. more interesting if you've seen these movies. So make sure that uh, you try to catch up with as many as you can before you dive into this episode. But from speaking from experience, I wouldn't watch them all in one week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we could talk about that later, but boy, <laughs> what a week it's been. <laughs> Um, now, we mentioned our friend Tim Yoder is here with us. We've known Tim for a long time, since college, and mm-hmm. um, we invited him along because we've talked about Tarantino uh, amongst ourselves for many years now, and Tim's always been really insightful and uh, 
we've even, I think, seen a couple movies with him in the theater. And right. so it's been something that we've always kind of, um, it's, it's been a, a very regular topic of conversation as Tarantino and, and an interesting one. So it was really in, important to us to bring Tim on board. Um, yeah. So thanks for being here, Tim. Glad to be here. Yeah. I, I think that a large part of the reason I've seen the last several Tarantino movies is because I saw them with Nate and Nate's good company to see them in. The, the people you see Tarantino with is a large part of the experience. And mm-hmm. I, I'm glad that I, I saw a lot of these in the theater because I believe that having that as a context, I think, I think there is something important about seeing them in the theater to understand what he's trying to do. It's a lot I about think. experience I yeah. think, with Tarantino. And we'll talk about that a little bit later, but for me, that actually ruined a few of the Tarantino movies that I saw in the theater. Yeah. But we won't get the into that. The plot thickens. Yeah, the plot thickens a little bit. Yeah. Um, but for now, let's talk about Pulp Fiction, because that's the reason we're talking about Tarantino. 20 years ago, in May, it premiered at Cannes. It didn't open in the U.S. until September. Um, but it was really a, a landmark movie. Um, and... There's not really any debate amongst us as to whether or not we love Pulp Fiction or right. whether it's our favorite Tarantino. I think that goes without saying, right? I, yeah, I love Pulp Fiction, although I think it's interesting to talk about maybe when we saw it, because I certainly didn't see it no, yeah. when it had come out, or we, we were catching it later. Um, and so I actually never did see it in the theater, even though we just talked about how important it is to see yeah. a Tarantino film in the theater. But still, we found a way to love Pulp Fiction, even without that sort of Tarantino theater experience. So maybe we should talk a little bit about what our experience watching it and what we what we really liked about it or what was so great about it. Yeah. Well, I think the first time I saw it was in college. And at the time, I, I actually have to admit, I was a little bit frustrated because I had something I needed to be doing. And someone's like, no, it's not that long. Well, it, it was it's a long, it was long movie. <laughs> And it goes by it, quickly, but it goes by it quickly. But also, when you're you're looking for those the standard cues of how long is left in this movie, it it doesn't have That's those no. cues. <laughs> nope. So I, I remember being a little irritated with the person who was making me watch it at the first time. But at the same time, it is it was a very affecting movie for. It wasn't me that made you watch it, was no, it? No, no, it okay. wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, it it was very affecting. I mean, I it. I had not seen any other Tarantino at that point. So the level of violence, the level of stylization, it was not like anything I'd ever seen before. Uh Yeah. Go ahead, Nate. Well, I was going to say, and and I think that's an interesting point you make because I feel like I saw this after there had already been already seeing some of the imitators of Mm -hmm. this. Mm Mm-hmm. So, yeah, definitely. and I would maybe at the top of that list, I might put something like Boondock Saints, you know, or something like. Can I just quick ask what you mean, top of the list? Of imitators. Okay. People. Like egregious imitation. Yeah. Maybe not, not egregious. I wouldn't go that far, oh, but gosh, just. All right. Maybe we're going to have to talk about Boondock Saints in the future. Well, I, you, might not, you might not disagree. I don't really care that much for that movie. Okay. So, all I'm saying. I abhor that movie. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't necessarily have the uh, sour taste in my mouth for it as, as you do, but. But I guess uh, I think I was also in, uh, in college or maybe even post-college when I had seen it for the first time, really sat down and watched it. I mean, my parents had rented it one time and I caught clips as I kind of snuck my head around the living room because it seemed like a very curious movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they did not want me watching that movie. So anything I saw was was um, something they didn't know about. Uh, <laughs> but um, I, when I watched it later on, it was kind of like, um, oh, this is where 
it all began. Mm -hmm. This is where things like Boondock Saints and, uh, you know, what else would you put on that? Maybe um, Snatch Snatch and Lockstock and those movies, too, Mm -hmm. a little bit. Um, A lot of movies that came and went have have faded. You know, like it's it. You know, there's a lot of imitators, but it's also kind of tough to pinpoint a bunch of them. Exactly. And uh, I think once you see Pulp Fiction, though, those movies really do kind of um, they, they lose a lot of their Absolutely. luster. They, they completely seem um, it's not necessarily that they're ripping it off entirely, but it's kind of like no one does it like Tarantino. Mm-mm. You can try as hard as you want, but you're not going to you're not going to really succeed yeah. at creating a Tarantino esque movie if you're not Quentin Tarantino. Definitely. Uh, and so um, Pulp Fiction to me was more revelation just in the sense of, oh, this is the way that type of thing that sort of. Um, snappy, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the the strange editing choices, the sort of cool, the oozing of the cool, the ultra violence, right. all that's all those elements kind of thrown into the pot. This is how it's done. And yeah. just being wowed by that. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I saw it in high school, um, but I had seen imitators before I saw it, that sort of thing. And I think that really speaks to the power of Pulp Fiction that you watch it in light of imitators and say, this is how it was supposed to be done. Mm-hmm. Whereas so often you watch a movie and you can say, I can see how this was important at the time, right? but you know, other movies have taken this and run with it. Nobody has been able to run with what Tarantino has done. And Pulp Fiction, I think Pulp Fiction is the pinnacle of it. I think he's hit some highs with his other movies, but I don't think he's ever going to create a movie like Pulp Fiction again. And I I can only imagine how much more I would have loved Pulp Fiction if I had seen it in 1994. Yeah. I mean, if I was 10. So if it if it were like literally me seeing it in 1994, I probably would have been scarred. But if I could have been, you know, like an adult in 1994 seeing Pulp Fiction for the first time, I I can't imagine how um shockingly amazing that would have been i feel like even as i was reading through this week i was reading a few of uh, critics reminiscing about the first time they saw it at a lot of them were at can can, and they couldn't even seem to put into words it seemed like they were struggling to really convey how important this was how strange it was how you know even how disruptive it was yeah and another thing i was going to say that that speaks to the power of pulp fiction it was parodied and referenced to no end before I ever saw it. I knew scenes, I knew lines, I knew all this stuff. And those scenes and those lines did not lose their power at all when I saw it, even though I'd known the references, I'd known all those things. It it just hits you as brand new every time. Um, well, you had mentioned, Ryan, that you said that you felt like he never really did hit the, that that was the pinnacle of what he's done, and he hasn't seemed to have hit that on the same level since. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe that would be a good time to actually bring in our poll, because the poll was related to that question, actually, of yeah. it, it, the way we phrased it was we actually pretty much assumed that everyone was going to choose Pulp Fiction as their favorite movie of Tarantino's. Yeah. <laughs> and so we basically said, other than that, you have you can't choose you can't Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction yeah. uh, what would you choose as your favorite Tarantino movie? Um, Maybe we, we shot ourselves in the foot by uh, qualifying it like that because we didn't get a ton of a participation in this right, one. Right. Okay, let's go over the results real quick. So, other than Pulp Fiction, what is your favorite Tarantino film? Um, a couple of movies that we didn't get a single vote for. Um, Jackie Brown, mm. unfortunately. I really like that movie. It's yeah. a good movie. I think yeah. it's just a movie people forgot about or yeah. haven't seen, but you should watch it. Yeah, absolutely. We didn't get a single vote for Death Proof. And we also didn't get a single vote for Django Unchained, um, mm. which is su- kind of surprising considering yeah. that's the most recent. And it seemed like a lot of people really liked that movie when yeah. they saw it. 
So the first the first uh, Tarantino movie that actually uh, got a vote in this poll was uh, Reservoir Dogs with 11%. And it actually tied, though, with Inglorious Bastards. Mm. Um, so 11% each for those movies. And and then uh, we've got uh, coming up next, uh, 22% for Kill Bill Volume 1. Uh, and then closely related to that uh, with the sort of uh, the by far the winner of this poll, uh, even though it's a very small sample size, um, we've got 56%. So more than half of uh, our listeners who took part in this poll voted for Kill Bill Volume 2 mm. as uh, their favorite Tarantino movie sans Pulp Fiction. Mm-hmm. So a couple of things that come to my mind looking at that is I wonder looking at the fact that Kill Bill, both of them actually kind of ran away with this yeah. is, I mean, do you see it as one film? I know Tarantino sees it as one film. Hmm. He actually didn't even want to have it split up from what I understand. Um, yeah. And even when you talk to him, he, he, I read an interview with him in the New York times um, from last year where he said that he doesn't even consider them two films when he looks at, when he counts the number of films he's made, he counts them as one film. I can understand that. Uh, uh, you know, they they aren't so different that I, you know, wouldn't be able to say that. What do you think, Tim? Is that... Well, one thing I, I feel when it comes to them as possibly two different films is that they seem to be referencing very different things. I, yep. a- and that lends to them having a very different feel. Yeah, the first one's more of a kung fu movie. The second one is more of a western sort of. As far as more I of a western, it's it's got some references to Shogun Assassin. Yeah, but uh, it's less of a Bruce Lee movie and more of a more of a western, more of a. Yeah, hard to say. yeah, one of the older, less less like episodic mm-hmm. Japanese right uh, films and. I think, you know, another thing that, that really struck me as different between the two films when I watched them, and not to jump a topic, but Kill Bill Volume 1 is definitely a revenge film through and through. Mm-hmm. And you don't realize until the very end of it that the object of revenge is not what it was thought to be. Right. And so by the end of the, the first movie, we as the audience know that uh, she has a daughter to rescue and that there is something there's something beyond just the revenge motivation to drive that second movie. To me, it felt a lot less bleak for sure. And in the way I approach it and that definitely colored the way I approached the second movie. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it actually colored the way I viewed the first movie because, um, I think I'm fine with them being two separate movies because I think they're pretty different, uh, tonally, like we said in references and things. Um, but you also have, if without the second, you're right. The first is just kind of bleak, empty violence. But the second really brings it all together. Which is, for me, if, if we can talk about... I voted for Volume 2 okay. as my favorite Beyond Pulp Fiction. Because um, that's where the first one found its footing, kind of grounded it. And I think just from... I, I just enjoyed the second one more. That's not to say I didn't love like the fights and stuff about the the first one. But in the second one, I really appreciated the development of the bride as a character and Bill as a character. And it kind of put the rest of the people that she had already taken her revenge on in a different light. Right. The absolutely. second one just opens up the first one. For yeah. Me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And actually, um, I also voted for Kill Bill Volume 2. And I, you know, 
I am going to add some qualifiers that I know our listeners can't, though, and say that I vo- it was. this is actually, I think, the hardest poll I've had to answer that we've done so far. The other ones I kind of felt like I knew how I was going to answer right away. Hmm. Um, I've, what I've come to notice as I've watched these a lot of these movies over again and thought about how I feel about Tarantino is that the level of difference as far as my feelings towards all of his movies, his entire canon... There's not any that I love or dislike a lot more than the others. Mm. Um, it was a lot of very, very fine shades between them as far as how I feel. And I voted for Kill Bill Volume 2 mostly just because I did kind of consider them as one piece. And I thought as one piece, I, I know you, we couldn't say that in the poll. So I sure. apologize if that's what you wanted to say too. And you couldn't vote that way if you're a listener. But I kind of consider them as one piece and volume two. I agree with Ryan. It's kind of where it all comes together and makes the first one all that more better. Now, I actually think that's why I voted for volume two, because I saw them as one piece and two, like I said, brings one, it yeah. elevates one. For yeah. Me. Now I will say though, that between I was juggling back and forth between that and actually Django Unchained was the other one that I was mm. kind of weighing. Which one am I going to vote for? I could have uh, shaken it up a bit probably by voting for Django, but I kind of had to go with what I, at the end of the day, really felt was um, the one that I just enjoyed the most watching. And for me, it was Kill Bill Volume 2. Well, it's interesting, too, that when you consider them in light of each other, I took a little bit of liberty to uh, to consider Volume 1 in light of Volume 2. And at the time that I watched them, I I definitely enjoyed Volume 2 more because, like I said, it felt like there was a better motivation driving it. Mm-hmm. But looking back, having having Volume 2 in mind, knowing how everything's going to resolve, I voted for Volume 1 because mm-hmm. of certain certain elements that I thought were just incredibly executed, mm-hmm. particularly the incredibly long shot in the Crazy 88 yeah. Oh my gosh, that... Right, the the crazy eighty eight fight scene is one of the greatest things you'll see. I think absolutely, I, it, not just fight scene. It's just it's incredible, and it's one of those things that only Tarantino could have executed. Yep, and I had only actually rewatched that. I had only seen it originally when it first came out, and then I rewatched it for this podcast. And I think I forgot how much fun it is to watch Volume One of Kill Bill. Yeah, it is it, such it really a is. fun movie, and um, even the I kind of had forgotten a lot of uh, how much I like the animation sequences yes. in it, oh, which yes. were great, and the way that they seamlessly worked into the movie. Um, yeah. It's just unlike anything you'll you'll see, I think. And I mean, other than if you're going to actually watch a lot of these original kung fu movies he's referencing, but even still, that uh, referential sort of treatment of those is just so interesting and fun to watch yeah definitely um and now this that that brings me to a point i wanted to discuss kill bill is incredibly violent i mean incredibly bloody and Mm. limbs getting hacked off here and there and you know in the animated sequence uh there's crazy amounts of blood and Mm -hmm. things like that um and I'm still able to describe it as fun and really enjoy that movie. I feel like, I don't know if he was going for the same sort of tone, but in Death Proof and Inglorious Bastards, I really um, rejected the idea that I was supposed to be having any fun with the violence in, that, in those two movies. And I, I don't know if you guys felt the same way, if you guys have responded to the violence in other movies of his uh, similarly. Or yeah. what do you think the difference could be? 
I think, I don't know if fun's the right word. I mean, fun is the right word for Kill Bill. Absolutely. But Kill Bill's violence is, uh, not, and not even so much volume two, but volume one of Kill Bill is uh, the, the, and especially the blood in particular. Mm -hmm. I mean, he hasn't really treated blood that way in <laughs> any other movie where you're hacking off a limb and it's just a fountain of blood spurting out. I mean, that is a stylistic choice that is sort of, the director manipulating you to to say it's okay to have fun with this okay yeah. i think he's giving you that permission and i think he's doing actually in my opinion he's doing a fine job of that it's so over the top um it, that you're not going to have a problem well i didn't have a problem with that having fun and that kind of violence when you move over into inglorious bastards and death proof i don't know that he's trying to evoke the same exact feeling uh, that he is in Kill Bill Volume One. No, I agree. I don't think he's trying to do the same exact. Like, I, I, but I you're, I, are you, that. are you trying to, are you having trouble with the sort of how flippant he is with it in those? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, or? and over the top. And here's the thing: I, I mentioned before that um, I think seeing movies, some of the movies in the theater, ruined the experience. And Inglorious Bastards, definitely, definitely, mm -hmm. definitely, definitely. Rewatching Inglorious Bastards, I realized that he has two. Uh, two ways of depicting the violence that there is some that you are supposed to not in the same way, but still have fun, enjoy and revel in a little bit. The um, final scene where they're, they're shooting up the theater. Mm -hmm. I think you're supposed to be enjoying it. Um, and that's over the top. And like mm -hmm. that, that shot of shooting Hitler just from close range with a machine gun I was really uncomfortable with the fact that the audience I saw it with in any depiction of violence, they went into this movie thinking, Quentin Tarantino, I'm going to have fun with this movie. And from the first time that a gun is fired, when they shoot into the floorboards of the house, mm -hmm. the audience was rolling. And I was so offended by that, yeah. that the rest of the movie, any time that violence in that movie seemed like it was supposed to be enjoyable... I just couldn't hang with it. And I know I can't fault Tarantino for that audience's reaction, but I kind of can because he created, he has created this persona where violence is something that's going to be awesome. Like, let me show you this. And he, it's so he cool. He thinks violence is cool. I mean, he said that over and over and mm -hmm. over again in his interviews. Um, but I do think that he also has this element where he, as a movie goer, uh, he embraces the idea that the director's job is to manipulate the audience, that he likes that idea. You know, he had a quote in an article that I was reading where he basically said, I feel like a conductor and the audience's feelings are my instruments. I will be like, laugh, laugh, now be horrified. When someone does that to me, I've had a good time at the movies. Okay, so he definitely is trying to pull your strings as you're watching that. Now, I think that in the instance you gave in Inglorious Bastards, that to me sounds like he didn't do a very good job pulling those strings because right. I don't think he meant for you to laugh when they're getting shot up in the floorboards at all. I don't think all. so either. I, I think you're supposed to be horrified by that. Right. Then later on in that movie when they're shooting up the theater and they're burning the theater and all that kind of stuff and you're seeing Hitler's face getting shot off and all that stuff. Um, I, I, I can completely understand being uncomfortable with that and I think that is worthy to talk about of whether we should actually be okay with the idea of Hitler's face getting shot off and, and just supposed to enjoy yeah. that. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's a, that is a discussion I hope that we can have in this podcast, but um, as far as how it pertains to violence, um, 
I mean, I just think that he is uh, stylistically doing it in such a way where he he knows exactly what feelings he wants to pull out of you from the audience. And in that case, he did want people to enjoy that. Well, and I think one thing to to bring into this, too, is I think it's it's interesting. He talks about his experience as an audience member, as the foundation for why he does what he does. Yeah. And that makes it worthwhile to to bring in that he's referencing other things. Mm. And I think that that has something of an influence on this sort of split between you're supposed to enjoy this and you're supposed to be horrified by this is that, you know, two of the major things he's, he's major streams that he's bringing in number one in grindhouse, he is talking about exploitation films Mm -hmm. and, you know, he brings in a lot of exploitation, a lot of ethnic exploitation. And in those cases, Violence is meant to shock and it's meant to flaunt, you know, we're outside the haze code. We're, we're doing things that you couldn't see before and we're sensationalizing everything in kill bill. One of his major influences is Shogun assassin. Mm -hmm. And a lot of, a lot of the sites of arteries spurting this not very convincing blood, but absolute fountains of it is coming from, an older Japanese film that is also a revenge film that has a child involved. And in that case, the connection between the the blood and the ultra violence is that you're rooting for a protagonist. Mm-hmm. And as you're seeing him decapitate, he, you know, the Shogun assassin was the decapitator for the Shogun. And now that he's, he's been in, uh, persecuted, and his wife has been killed. You know, that's an, another problematic sort of theme that is yeah. going to follow us, uh, you know, because his wife is his wife's females. They're fridged, to basically. Too, right. She's not a character. She's just killed in order to provide a motivation. Nonetheless, though, when we see people violently decapitated, we know that the person we're rooting for is making it. And we can kind of revel in the fact that the double cross isn't working. Yeah. And at the same time, when we switch into Grindhouse, we're we're also dealing with a level of ultra violence, but it's it's serving a very different end. And I think the two get conflated pretty easily. Mm. And you know, especially a less reflective audience is going to going to mix them up. Yeah, and I think they're even on Tarantino's part. Uh, I've noticed that there seems to be a shift not in the violence itself and the gruesomeness of it. I think he's had that all along. I mean, even Reservoir Dogs, you see the ear getting, you know, the, the you know, so we're not talking about, well, like, you, has he gotten more violent over on. the years? You don't see the ear getting cut off. No, you see it afterwards. There's though. a lot of stuff. That's one thing that... He shies away from it part of actually it. being cut off. I don't but. know if it's shying away. I think it's, I think it is, it makes it more effective because instead of showing you, instead of showing you something, he is almost making you fill in the gaps and imagine it. So yeah. instead of se- instead of showing it and running the risk of somebody not being grossed out or somebody being too grossed out, he implies it and then you fill in what you think is the worst thing happening. And that's why scenes early on, Reservoir Dogs Pulp Fiction, people remember these scenes as being so excruciating and mm-hmm. gruesome right. when you didn't see it. You don't but they're serving him- different purposes in that movie. The violence is. The violence... And this is what I was going to say is that after, I think, post Jackie Brown, so starting with Kill Bill. I think that's an important distinction to make, yeah. Post Jackie, I think we could actually split it between the two sort Mm -hmm. of Tarantino eras. And I think the big point is that the violence serves a different purpose. In the first few movies, and I think this has to do with Tarantino's worlds that he presents in each movie, 
Um, in the first two movies, the worlds he presents are much more nuanced. It's not a black and white world. Whereas when you get past that and you start moving into Kill Bill, Death Proof, um, Inglorious Bastards, Django, so on, um, it's usually you have something to do with vengeance or you have a very clear protagonist and they have a clear cut goal that they need to get mm. through or a group of protagonists in the case of Inglorious Bastards. And the violence is a cathartic thing in those movies. It's a very, there's no cathartic violence in Reservoir Dogs or in Pulp Fiction. Yeah. Now, that I think is a very important thing to discuss as a viewer is if that's appropriate, if it's appropriate to have cathartic violence of that nature and right. for you as an audience member to glory in that. But the point is, I think that the violence itself is not serving the same purpose in those early Tarantino movies. And the violence only works if it works at all. It only works because the worlds he paints in those other later films are so black and white. Yeah. The justice is so black and white. You have a clear-cut good guy, a clear-cut bad guy, and so we want to see that bad guy eventually get his comeuppance. Yeah, and that that's one thing that frustrates me about those movies is that he uses – it feels like he uses it as an excuse. You say, well, I think that's too violent. Like, is there anything that's too violent for, you know, Nazis, for slave owners? Like, perpetuating violence against these – it, to me, it feels like he uses that black and whiteness to get away with a lot and to wash his hands of any responsibility. Say, like, listen, man, I'm just trying to make things right by giving these, you know, put upon people this extremely violent uh, justice. Um, and, and I think it's problematic that he, I do too. he utterly conflates justice and retribution. Absolutely. And there is no, no solid reflection on, on the, the, the even mention that those two could be separate concepts. Right. And the, it, it, it also frustrates me because he explored those issues so well in Pulp Fiction, especially. Um, Which issues exactly? The idea of what is justice, what is retribution specifically the scene where Butch makes his way out from the pawn shop basement mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. he grabs the keys to the chopper, goes outside, looks at it, realizes he can't leave without saving Marcellus Wallace. In the world of Tarantino post Jackie Brown, Marcellus Wallace would meet in a violent end because he was the one he, he had wronged Butch, you know, whatever, you know? Like, I feel like he would have done something to make Marcellus Wallace a much more one-dimensional character and would have met some sort of violent end. So we cool? Yeah, we cool. Two things. Don't tell nobody about this. This shit is between me, you... And Mr. Soon will be living the rest of his short-ass life in agonizing pain, rapist here. It ain't nobody else's business. Two, you leave town tonight, right now. And when you're gone, you stay gone. Or you be gone. You lost all your L.A. privileges, deal? I mean, this is all But that's the point, though, but I think. I also... What do you mean? What? The point is that in those, he would. The difference is that in Pulp Fiction, he didn't paint Marcellus Wallace that way. In the later films, that's he what would. I'm, yeah, and I'm saying that's what's frust what frustrates me more about the later films is because he's shown that he can be so thoughtful, and then it just feels to me lazy that he's not is trying. Is it laziness or is it just a different intent? Whatever. Maybe, maybe it is, but it, the fact that he hasn't 
since Kill Bill tried to go back to anything like that, I feel like it's a little bit of late. Like he's not taking responsibility for anything. Like I said, he's washing his hands of any responsibility in depiction or whatever. Mm -hmm. And let me go back to Pulp Fiction and say about that scene um, from like a biblical sort of Christian standpoint. I don't know if this was intentional, but when Butch walks out and sees the chopper. He goes out and sees the word, I don't know if, you know, intentionally sees the word grace written on this motorcycle. And then he turns around and goes back mm -hmm. and picks his weapon, whatever, back to Tarantino-ishness with the violence. <laughs> but to me, that, that Pulp Fiction is a very redemptive movie. Mm -hmm. It's all about people getting redeemed. Not everybody, because it's not the way it works. You know, unfortunately... Um, Vincent Vega doesn't get redeemed, but he also didn't really have anything to be saved from, sort of. But then you got Jules who makes that switch, and he passes on redemption and grace to Pumpkin and Honey Bunny. And that, to me, is one of the reasons I love Pulp Fiction, because it's so emotionally and philosophically dense. Mm -hmm. And that's what frustrates me, like I said, about the later stuff, is that he just abandons any thought of that. I think Kill Bill still has that. And if, if I may, I, I found a David Foster Wallace quote that I think articulates if it makes sense what i think about tarantino and david foster wallace says i'm not saying i'm able to work consistently out of the premise but it seems like the big distinction between good art and so-so art lies somewhere in the art's heart's purpose the agenda of the consciousness behind the text it's got something to do with love with having the discipline to talk out of the part of yourself that can love instead of the part that just wants to be loved now i think that last line is like really um, spot on with Tarantino. He really wants you to like his movie and enjoy it. Mm -hmm. So I'm saying he's shying away from any nuance and gray area because he doesn't want the audience to lose his point. You know? Yeah, um, I, I can see what you're saying I, I, at a degree. I don't... I guess I, I feel like I always come back to, especially with these later films, I come back to what is Tarantino really trying to do? And I do think that there's a disappointment there because there isn't going to be in these later films. Um, there's not a whole lot of range, actually, you know, and I think that honestly, this is why personally, I don't really ever put Tarantino in that same level as I put someone like. Um, you know, P.T. Anderson or uh, Terrence Malick or Kubrick because he's so style over substance. Hmm. Well, and also, he always has been. I mean, actually, you can make a point for Pulp Fiction. That's Pulp when he Fiction is the marriage We're of not, style and substance. We, we are not going to argue about whether the Pulp Fiction has merit or not. I mean, we agree. We agree on Pulp Fiction. The, the thing that where the, where the differences lie is that I'm willing to accept in the later movies that style over substance and just kind of escape in that because mm. i think that's what he wants i don't think he th this is the thing what do we what do we go to a tarant at this well point, that's why i'm saying what do we go to good art and so so art i'm saying that's why his later movies are just so so movies Where, whereas pulp fiction jackie brown the kill bills are great movies yeah i mean but you can approach art in different ways i mean i think on the on a macro big global level of art is this a great piece of art is it a masterpiece is or is it just so so I agree. I don't think Tarantino has really hit a masterpiece level since Pulp Fiction, um, but I think it's still great art because even if you just look at it from um, not just even just a technical level, but just at, at what does it succeed at what he's trying to do? I think it does. Mm. Um, and if that's the artist's I guess intent, I'm just not hanging with what he's trying to do. 
Yeah, I don't think that's fine. I don't think you have to. And I actually don't think even Tarantino says that you have to. I think he accepts the fact that there are going to be people who just don't care for his movies. Um, but I think that he never reaches the level of, say, Scorsese or any of these masters, in my opinion, because he lacks that range. And he also lacks sincerity, I think. Like in these later films, especially, he says, I was reading yet another article where he had said that his two most emotional films that he's made uh, were the Kill Bill movies, which he counts as one, um, and Jackie Brown. Hmm. Hmm. Okay, so that's his idea of an emotional movie. You know, certainly I had feelings as I watched that movie, but never to the level that you have when you watch something done. That, like when Scorsese's on top of his game, when P.T. Anderson's on top of his game, like the, the level of just emotion and at a deeper level, the heart that I think you're talking about with David Foster Wallace Tarantino never hits that. And I don't I think that's why he's um he's important. I enjoy yeah. going to his movies. He's he's a ton of fun. Yeah. But that's what I'm looking for in a Tarantino movie. I'm not looking for much else, honestly. Wow. And I'm not expecting it at this point. Well, let me just say that yeah, to say that Quentin Tarantino can speak out of a place that can love is kind of maybe um not exactly the right thing, but something that taps into human emotion. I would say that the Kill Bills are actually quite emotional movies, especially because in the end Volume two, she realizes um, that she wasn't going to be satisfied with revenge. What was important, what satisfied her was that not just seeing that her daughter was alive, but also the discussion she had with Bill. They kind of buried the hatchet. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He still ended up dying, but the, the reason she was satisfied is because they had that talk. No. You're not a bad person. You're terrific. You're my favorite person. But every once in a while, you can be a real cunt. <laughs> and that's why the, I, I, that movie is so much more talking than fighting for a very important reason, I think pointedly so. Because he's saying and realizing that reconciliation is more important than revenge and there are in that movie when she's outside bud's rv waiting to kill him bud puts on a record and it's johnny cash's version of a satisfied mind mm -hmm. and tarantino goes to goes so far as to restart the song right in case you didn't get it <laughs> in case you didn't get it this song is about the rich man the, a rich man by far is the one with a satisfied mind and that I would I would actually say that the Kill Bills are very emotional, even though there is that, um, you know, ultra violence for so long. Ultimately, it's all about the, the reconciliation. I just think at the end of the day, he's always going to trump emotion with cool. He is now. If he's going to, I think even. I think I think before he had cool with emotion. But even even still, you know, there were there were issues like. In, in the scene where Butch goes to save Marcellus Wallace, I still think it's a very problematic thing the way that he has to save him from. The, the, there's a lot of shock going okay. on there. And beyond that, it's, it's perpetuating, you know, really negative homosexual stereotypes. That's true. In order to get a shock value so that when he does save him, you, you see him 
humiliated Marcellus Wallace humiliated in a very particular way. I think the the seed of the problem has always been there, even if it has occurred in films that had more to redeem them. That's a good point. And that's, that actually brings to mind something. One of the reasons I really hate death proof. I, I, I won't watch that movie again. I didn't want to watch it again to, for this. Um, and I, I guess it was just less obvious with Marcellus Wallace that death proof. It feels to me, he was trying to like bring it all together with some female empowerment message. But when you spend two thirds of the movie terrorizing, objectifying, belittling, um, uh, and victimizing women, are we supposed to be happy that they get 20 minutes of whatever redemption, so to speak? Yeah. Like, I think it's I, just more they get the final word. That's true, but they're like, I, I, I'm, I have such a hard time with somebody who says like, oh, but yeah, this is about whatever revenge or empowerment or, um, uh, you know, redeeming somebody when the only reason they needed that is because you chose to put them through this really gruesome process. Mm-hmm. <sighs> I, I mean, know. that might go back to what what Tim was saying though about the what what he's really referencing, and and I know that. Uh, Tim, me and you did. We saw Grindhouse as Grindhouse. We went and saw the double yeah. feature um, with Planet Terror, uh, and then watching Death Proof. And also, we saw the Death Proof in the theater, which was actually much shorter than the one you're going to get now on DVD oh, yeah. because it had these really funny, actually missing reels. It, it actually had these sort of jumps in in continu- continuity because of the way you watched it. Um, and that is a that is certainly a movie that is style over substance. Oh, from absolutely. the beginning it is only style. and i like it for that i think that what it's what what it's throwing back to which actually goes back to our gremlins conversation of like these sort of b movies the so bad it's good even the acting is performed much more flat in it than yeah. than it is in any of his other movies intentionally so everything he does i think is intentional um and i just I don't think it's his strongest movie and I don't think he even thinks it's his strongest movie at all. You think it's not his weakest? Uh like I said, I could go back to what I said in the poll. I have a really hard time ranking Tarantino. We're talk about Tarantino I actually, interviews. He said that Death Proof is his worst movie. Well, he also said, I mean, yeah, I mean, I I've I've heard him say that. I've also heard him say that he never wants to get any lower than Death Proof like he's kind of hit his low point with that. And, Didn't it seem but he like still him- said he loves it. He still said he loves Death Proof. Mm. Did um, you rewatch it? Yeah, I did. I, I did not. Okay. Part of the part of the reason is what I saw him doing, him and Rodriguez doing in in the Grindhouse films was less of something that was supposed to be inspired by the Grindhouse and more a direct homage to it. Exactly. Where yeah. and to me the the idea of it is that it, they're supposed to be very disposable, low entertainments, <laughs> and so the fact that we saw those movies at, starting at ten o'clock at night and walked out at one in the morning in a cheap and decaying theater Mm -hmm. kind of felt to me like that was the experience I was supposed to have. And I was never really supposed to think that much more on it. Exactly. And I think that that's exactly what I was thinking as well. And, and I was really disappointed actually, because I thought they missed the entire point when they even released them separately on DVD. It didn't make any sense to me where I think death proof, where I think death proof's biggest weaknesses are, isn't is actually just in, in some of the dialogue getting, too long even by tarantino's standards yeah. like it's just getting boring and i don't think that the um zoe bell amazing 
scenes at the end with her doing the ship's mast thing or whatever they call yeah. it on top of the hood of the car. I mean, that is just a ton of fun to watch. It's a great way to end the movie. Um, but she's not a very good actress. No. And the other girl she plays off with, I don't know her name. Yeah, she's also know. from New Zealand, I think, in the movie. And um, I just find a lot of the dialogue in that second half really tedious. Uh, although in the first half, though, where they're at the bar in Austin and you're snappier. introducing stuntman Mike, I just also the style cinematically is much more grindhouse. Yeah, it's he much really seems to abandon it. it. He abandons it in the second half. He doesn't do the. It's not. It's not like torn up. You know, yeah. it's not. It's not cut. Like I don't know why he did that. I don't either because I think it still would have been just as cool in the second half too. Well, it would have made it seem less arbitrary. Yeah, and made the movie seem more thought out and cohesive. It just doesn't. Yeah, I, I'm sorry. I, I I can't forgive that movie's treatment of women, and the fact that the friends leave that friend in the cheerleader outfit. Lee is her name. Uh huh. Just yeah, that's her, that yeah. is so offensive to right. me. I hate it. It it makes me so mad that he did that. Yeah, and left her. They never go back. They never whatever. Mm-hmm. They just leave her there for this guy to essentially to sexually assault her. Yeah, with that thought in mind. Not with the possibility or the danger, with the thought that he will do that. I hate it. I hate I, it so much. I, I, I think that's. I, I, I agree. I mean, I don't that. I agree that it's irresponsible to leave a girl alone with it. But, but I just think that if it's homage, and those movies have always been chauvinistic, well, that's just part of it. I mean, why do we have to? Why do we have to celebrate it and redo it? That's yeah. that's the sort of thing that you move on and forget. Like, don't forget, but ign- don't do it again. I would feel like if you're going to make a Grindhouse movie, and maybe it would have felt inauthentic to him, but then modernize it in a way that like, hey, remember how fun this was without the really questionable morality and um, dangerous um, sort of mindset it's it's perpetuating? Yeah, I, I, I don't know what that movie would look like. I, it's hard. We can't. We can't hypothesize what that would look like. Although I do wonder, I just wonder if it would soften it. You know, that these movies are not well thought out. There are things in it that are obviously from the director's somewhat deranged mind, whether it's Tarantino's or just the people he's referencing. um, And that taking some of that stuff out would soften the entire uh, feeling that he's trying to evoke in when you're going to see it as a double feature in the theater. I don't know that I really enjoyed the movie as much watching it at home <laughs> this this second time around. Although I do think Death Proof of all of his movies has some of the most awesome music choices. Um, the yeah. closing credits are in just... I mean, he has a way sometimes with music to where even if you aren't totally on board with the movie, the song kicks in and you're like, oh yeah, yeah. this is great. you know. And that's actually what happened with Death Proof. <laughs> it basically ends with... Um, you know, stuntman Mike getting a boot to the face, um, and then it kicks into this. Doo, 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 doo. I mean, it's just like, all right, I didn't know how I felt about that. But, but it doesn't let you think about it. No, it doesn't. doesn't. That's it. the point. It doesn't let you think about it. But I don't go to his movies to think. Yeah. It's all about feeling. And if I'm getting the feeling he wants me to get out of it, it's escapism. I I plug into that for the two, two and a half, three hours he gives me, and I pull right out of it. And I don't really think about it again after that. See, that's what I think is it makes 
This might it's seem dangerous. I know. It and makes Tarantino. It, that's me, why you can't me, imitate him. If you him. are making a movie that is to be thoughtless and you're supposed to let it flow through you, then you need to be extra careful about the ideas you're putting forth, because then that's just you. You are making. You are e equating. Um, really cool action scene. Let's just enjoy it with offering your friend up for rape. Like you are that movie doesn't ask you to make distinctions between those things in your mind. That is probably to me, his most problematic film. When, what it, what the playbook seemed to be as far as cultural engagement in grindhouse was, uh, we're just going to portray this exactly as it was. And hopefully someone's modern sensibilities brought to it is going to see how crazy it is such as, you know, we, we got a lot out of uh, the trailers in between that kind of reinforced that theme. I, I, I don't think enough commentary is given on it. I think it is problematic. Yeah, which is, again, I mean, this came up with Gremlins where if you do something well, I get more frustrated when you don't do something well. Jackie Brown is a strong female character, and she doesn't have to be horribly victimized to become a strong character. Mm -hmm. She just is. Presents herself as that, and it's taken as, yes. as and, a fact. And um, I think The Bride, her victimization wasn't just because she was a woman. Um, so that's another reason that Death Proof just makes me so much more frustrated, because he had done it, and he just keeps dumbing himself down. Yeah, but he's also not the kind of filmmaker I would count out as... I feel like once he gets kind of done dealing with something he wants to deal with, he moves on. That's true. So, I mean, I feel like right now we're just kind of in the middle of this. He's really into revenge and he has been for a while. <laughs> That's basically a, a revenge or vengeance or mm -hmm. retribution, that kind of thing yeah. and dealing with it in a very simplistic, almost, I don't think that he's ever saying that what is happening is necessarily in the real world, the appropriate way to respond. In fact, he draws a very, very large distinction between cinema and the real world he does not see a correlation at all between the two i uh we have a clip actually of him being interviewed he was interviewed by terry gross on fresh air and she asked him exactly this and it was in light of django and the sandy hook massacre and he talks exactly about how he does not see a connection between the real world and the cinema world um so let's just listen to that for uh for just a second well i so think I when you're watching the bit. film um the audience isn't thinking like you're thinking because you're thinking like there's the reality violence and then there's the fun genre violence. Oh, I think they are. I think they are. Y yeah. I totally think they are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I totally think they are. One, there's the violence that's hard to watch and there's the violence that's fun to watch. I think they're totally thinking that. So I just have to ask you, um, is it any less fun after like the massacre at at Sandy Hook Elementary? Like, do you ever go through a period where you lose your taste for movie violence and movie violence is not real violence. I understand the difference, but, but still are there times when it's, it just is not um, a fun movie experience for you either to be making it that way or to be in the audience for something like that. Not for me. So, it's so completely separate that the reality of violence doesn't affect at all your feelings about making or viewing very violent or sadistic. Do you like, mean on that day would I wa uh, on that day would I watch the Wild Bunch? Maybe not on that day. Or in the next few days, like while it's still, 
while it's still really fresh in your while the, while while the uh, reality. Would I watch a kung yeah. fu movie three days after the Sandy Hook massacre? Would I watch a kung fu movie? Maybe because they have nothing to do with each other. You sound annoyed that um. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know I you've am. been asked this a lot. Yeah, I'm really annoyed. I've been ans- I've been asked this question for twenty years. Wh- wh- which, which, aunt- which question? About uh, the effects of violence in movies relating to violence in real life. And my answer is the same 20 years ago. It hasn't changed one iota. And it's the answer you just gave? Yes. Okay. Well, I don't, I don't know what I just said, but uh, <laughs> uh, obviously, I don't agree. I, obviously, I don't think one has to do with the other. Okay, so you know, in that clip, you can see he's actually getting a little bit annoyed because he feels like he shouldn't have to answer this over and over and over again because to him, it's very cut and dry. Movie violence is movie violence. Real-life violence is real-life violence. They're not the same thing. Hmm. Uh, now, this might sound like I'm contradicting myself. I, I, I agree with some of his points there. Um, I, I kind of agree with his annoyance that it's in the wake of those things that we look to movies and TV to blame yeah. rather than, like he said realistic engagements with gun control and how mental health issues are handled and that sort of thing. Um, but what I wonder then is what I was talking about with death proof, the rape culture with the, the attitudes toward women, that sort of thing. Would he completely separate those from real life? Cause I feel like those perpetuate a mindset, you know, I mean, I agree. Well, one thing too, that I, I have to bring in, when it comes to his treatment of violence and revenge as a valid motivator is that there's, there's not really a live option in the hands of most people of, am I going to watch a violent movie and then do a violent act? For the most part, people know how to make that separation. Mm -hmm. There's been a lot of discussion as to whether, you know, we, we emulate that or we use it as catharsis. Maybe violence makes society less, Violent. I don't think there's any way to resolve that. But what really concerns me about the portrayal of violence in particular and, and revenge in particular is that there are choices that we make. Every, every person makes as a citizen in a democracy, in a free society, that I do think that his portrayal of revenge and violence can culture, can, can influence. So, mm-hmm. you know, examples of this would be when we're deciding – you know, how, how to vote in the wake of terrorist acts in, in the wake of, you know, are we going to engage a war of revenge? That's a thing that you can, a decision you have to make based on values. And I think it would be, you'd be hard pressed to say you're not influenced by the media, by Mm -hmm. the stories you consume, by the stories you, you live your Mm -hmm. life through. I think it's, it's hard to say that Tarantino doesn't make revenge more normal and more okay for the average persons who pursue by these very distant proxies. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, other, other examples, what do we do when it comes to how we pursue crime? Do we show grace? Mm -hmm. Do we show mercy or do we pursue revenge? Do we wrong the wrongers? And I, you know, whatever your view on the death penalty is, I think that you're, that this sort of thing unconsciously colors the way you approach the value of human life. There are so many different facets, I think, to the the discussion of violence in movies and real life violence and their connection that I think is really what is missing in a lot of the discussion. It's basically like there's a lot of violence in this movie, so it's 
does that correlate to violence in real life? Well, it's not only about how the violence is portrayed. It's mm-hmm. also, um, you know, what are the motivations behind that violence? Exactly what you're saying, you know? So what I think is an, what I could see Tarantino getting very annoyed about is, you know, he's showing this violence, but it's almost like we aren't even talking about why the violence is there. We're just talking about the violence being there. Yeah, yeah. It's a um, nebulous concept that yeah, we can and point to. It's such a complicated thing. I feel like we're all we're all going to, in some degree, um, contradict our own selves and what we've already said in this podcast. Because I can say that I totally agree with what you're saying. That there, I don't think that there's that, that there's absolutely no effect yeah. on the culture when you have this in the mainstream media, um, but. I can also say that I completely agree with Tarantino that like there is a way that you can separate yourself from that. Um, and it, it, it does take a little bit of uh he has to, and I don't know, this is maybe, maybe he's most irresponsible in having a little bit too much faith in his audience. Do you think that they'll I be able to does. do that? <laughs> I think, cause you know? I think he's a very intelligent moviegoer, mm-hmm. right? He is able to on the fly, think about those genre films um, in a way that, a lot of people aren't and he can dissociate which i think is some sophistication he can say like yeah well this isn't that and that's not that and i don't have to make that connection and and he's not the only director to have serious problems with this i mean no. it's well known that clockwork orange and full metal jacket two of kubrick's mm-hmm. very fine films have very bad cultures associated yeah with and them. i actually think this is what surprised me as i was rewatching these is um because so far, I, I feel like I've kind of made it sound like I've got no problem whatsoever with what Tarantino does with violence. And I don't think that's quite true. But where I actually was surprised I was kind of most offended as I was watching these is because I don't think he's thinking through the effect it's going to have on the culture is actually with Reservoir Dogs and with the character of Mr. Blonde. Mm. Mr. Blonde really troubled me as I was watching this because really? I remember seeing in college the posters up of him mm-hmm. in the sort of James Dean post or, you know, leaning uh, against, leaning against saying, are you going to, uh, what's the line? Are you going to bite, bite little dog? You're just going to bark. Yeah. But he's a psychopath. Yeah. Like he but, is not someone that we should be mm-hmm. uh, imitating at all. And right. it's almost like in that way, I feel like Tarantino, maybe it's because it was his first film and he hadn't quite found his footing with how to deal with the subject matter. I think that's very true. I've on watching it i disliked reservoir dogs a lot yeah it's actually if i like i said i don't have huge variations in how i feel about tarantino movies but i actually think i would maybe put reservoir dogs as my least favorite um Mm. but i think it has mostly to do with that mr blonde character he is kind of cool i'll admit i was kind of cool and then i was very troubled that i thought he was cool cool because he there's nothing really redemptive about that character well i do Mm -hmm. think that was part of the point of mr blonde i i only watched that for the first time very recently and one thing that struck me is if you put reservoir dogs in line with things like oceans 11 and other heist movies where you're supposed to want to identify with the people in suits looking slick looking Mm -hmm. cool belonging to a group having their specialties you're supposed to want to identify with that. And it's sort of picaresque. I want to be like the villain thing. I thought that Mr. Blonde was supposed to be in some ways, the reality check on that. Yeah. Hmm. At least for a reflective person. I think that's a lot of the difference is you're supposed to look at that and say, I've been wanting to identify with these people now for so long. And now I'm shocked at what I wanted to identify with. And you're supposed to kind of reel away from that if you're watching it right. Yeah, I agree. It's the responsibility of the audience question coming back again. Well, then maybe it's not necessarily Tarantino's fault, but that's certainly not what happened in the culture after no. that at all. Yeah, again, you know? like that that's like the audience responding in the theater to Inglorious Bastards. It was out of his control. Well, and one thing that 
I've thought of as we've discussed, you know, this tension between enjoying these entertaining movies and yet acknowledging all the problems that we have with them. Uh, one concept that it brings me back to is the guilty pleasure. Mm-hmm. The question, you know, the guilty pleasure is kind of a difficult category because generally I think you should like what you like. You should love what you love and you shouldn't apologize for it. But when it comes to Tarantino, I do feel like I need to apologize for <laughs> enjoying some of these things yeah. Yeah. because I, I have big problems with them and yet I'm willing to go see them. And yeah. I'm I, not going to stop seeing these movies. That's right. I think where it comes down to is even though we've had these issues, I'm going to go see the next Tarantino movie that comes out, you know, to me, to me, Tarantino is the, the best example of a guilty pleasure in that. I know that I'm going to see things that I disagree with, that I'm uncomfortable with. Hmm. I, you know, Django Unchained just grabs you and, and pulls you through the whole movie. It, It really makes you emotionally tied to everything as it goes along. It kind of shuts off reflection. I suppose where this leaves us is that uh, when it comes to to films like Tarantino's, there is good and there is bad, and it shows that it's important to approach cinema critically. That a large part of the the problem and a large part of the resolution comes down to whether or not you're really thinking about what you're watching mm-hmm. and guarding what you're allowing to to come into your mind, mm-hmm. because there there are reasons to watch. Tarantino, unfortunately, I, I feel like a lot of what justifies him is going to come more from an aesthetic than a moral place. Mm. That there are things he does yeah. that no other director can that we can't really we can't really display as well in a podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, one thing I was I was thinking of this week is Tony Zhou did this interesting short clip on how to do visual comedy. Yeah. And he's specifically highlighting Edgar Wright. And I was thinking about that as I was watching Tarantino. Tarantino is one of the very best directors in using visual elements Mm -hmm. to, to convey his story, long cuts, long shots on a character singing to herself in a car, Mm -hmm. things that you wouldn't necessarily expect uh, from a movie, but it's, it's really pioneering what you can do with the visual elements of a movie as storytelling and breaking away from traditional dialogue based exposition. Mm -hmm. Tarantino does that incredibly well. And there's a, there's a lot of merit to his film aesthetically, artistically beyond the question simply of what he's writing in. Yeah. And I think if you approach Tarantino reflectively, and if you think about what you're allowing in that, you can really take away a lot of value from what he has to say. Right. And even though we maybe didn't come to any serious conclusions here or change our minds uh, definitively to say, this is what I think now, I think um, you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. And, right. you know, there is some good, although I would argue that there is no good in Death Proof, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> uh, let me get that last one in. Oh, jeez. Um, but, yeah, I think it was an important discussion it's important to have these discussions among yourselves not just you know listen to other people have them so yeah, that, that being said, said <laughs> engage with us yes. on on the comments board of can we still be friends.net uh leave us a voicemail um yeah if you want to uh give us an email feedback at can we still be friends.net 
uh, reply to us on Twitter or Facebook. We just really want to hear what you think about Quentin Tarantino, what your experiences have been watching him. Um, what makes you uncomfortable when you watch his movies or uh, what doesn't sit quite right with you? Yeah. And what do you love about him? I mean, we want to hear both sides. Um, if you think we said something that was absolutely um, obnoxious, please call us out on it. Um, maybe not too hard, but... Yeah. Um, Anyways, we want to hear from you. So, uh, yeah, that's the different ways you can get in contact with us. Let me just throw out our number really quick if you want to give us a call. Um, give us a call and uh, leave us a voice message. The number is 847-306-9532. 847-306-9532. And um, who knows, you might show up on a future episode of the podcast. Yeah. So, uh, Ryan, do you want to maybe talk a little bit about what we're going to do in our next episode of Can We Still Be Friends? Yeah, the next one, um, at the end of June... Uh, Criterion is releasing the Beatles movie Hard Day's Night um, for the first time for them. They've never released this one. Um, no. And it's a it's a classic movie that kind of transcended the traditional, you know, band commercial mm -hmm. movie. Um, this is not Justin Bieber, Never Say Never. This is a movie that actually is really highly regarded um, among critics. I have seen it. I saw it a long time ago. Um, Nate has not seen it, and he's a big Beatles fan. I am huge. not a yeah. huge Beatles fan. Forgive me Actually, I for underplaying it. Pretty, pretty big. Nate is the world's biggest Beatles fan. <laughs> and I, up until recently, was not into the Beatles. So we're gonna, I'm going to rewatch it. Nate's going to watch it for the first time. Right. So that'll be it for next time. If you guys find that at your local library, um, watch it with us in preparation. Uh, but Tim, thank you so much for joining us. It was great to have yeah, you. Yeah, real pleasure. Well, thank you for having, having you come me. in. And uh, I hope we have you back. Yeah, as you always do, you manage to uh, really synthesize the stuff that me and Ryan blather on about very yeah. well so, yeah. and summarize things. Yeah. So thanks so much for coming out. Thanks a lot. And thank you guys for listening. Appreciate it. Take care. Mm -hmm.